Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Diglett. Yeah. Healing a journey to wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined me tonight on the Soul of America Network. That's right, each and every Monday night, you can find us right here at www.soulofamericaradio.com, where we are bringing a message about hope and healing and a journey to wholeness. For those of you that are listening to us for the very first time, here's a platform that's been created in mind to educate, to empower, to enlighten, to inform about the horrible issues surrounding the issue of domestic and sexual violence and all those things that cause harm, injury, and hurt in the lives of individuals, especially inside of intimate violent relationships. In the course of our show, oftentimes we're dealing with grief, abandonment, rejection, loss, divorce, whatever that have caused pain inside of a, a, a relationship. And we believe that in order for one to actually have complete healing, there must be hope. And we believe that hope and healing is a journey to wholeness tonight. And so you reach us here every Monday night. That's 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific. And no matter where you are around the world, you can find us here at this very same hour. And we're always excited because our Platforms often feel with very special guests, survivors, victim survivors, thrivers, those that have been reformed, those that have been transformed, and those that may find themselves still in a relationship. This designed with that in mind. It's designed to begin to deal with issues that surround this issue of domestic violence, and we're so very glad to have you to be a part of it. Now, for those that may are listening by way of the internet, and you desire to call in to listen or call in to be a guest or have a question or comment, you can always call area code two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That's area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That is how you each and every Monday, and we're so excited to be with you tonight. Last week we had such an incredible call there with uh, uh, Mexicel Steel was our very special guest on last week. And then this week here we have an open line. That open line means that it's open for questions and our comments, and we invite all of you to be a part of that tonight. So we're looking forward to what we have to be able to uh, uh, bring forth tonight. So it's going to be very, very good, and we look forward to being a part of that uh 
that that very powerful message that is going to be occurring here in just a little bit. So as I say that to you tonight, I want to make sure that you recognize the fact that uh, this show is designed with you in mind, and we want you to know that you being in mind tonight uh, is what we like to bring. I want to remind you that this is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and and this is really what this is all about. And we are excited about it because we believe that we can shed light on domestic violence. We believe that we're able to empower very underserved and underserved populations about domestic violence. But most importantly, we believe that we can be part of the healing process. So um, I say that with this in mind, that I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Uh, for all that's happening, I want to encourage you inside of the things that are going on around us. And if you know of someone who's been affected by domestic violence, I want you to make sure that you do not be silenced and that you would uh, definitely uh, be that voice, that champion voice inside of helping those and directing those that are affected by domestic violence. All month long, we have just increased our uh, outreach and our capacity in dealing with domestic violence. I've had the opportunity to speak in uh, different churches, different venues about domestic violence, uh, different events about domestic violence. And for those of you that are listening to me and you're located in the South Florida area, I want to make you aware and remind you of an event that we do have coming up on this coming Saturday. This coming Saturday is going to be an event that is going to be quite unique. It's an event that we are doing co-sponsored along with the House of the Billionaires, Ms. Sabrina Harris, and we're doing an event going to be held in uh, Palm Beach County and West Palm Beach, and the event is dealing with unveiling, uh, unveiling, unveiling secret past of your hurt, hurt past, and transforming for the future. It's domestic and sexual violence coming uh, Saturday, and it's going to take place right there at the airport in West Palm Beach. And so this is going to be a very powerful time, very special guests, guests that are coming from every walk of life. We're going to have victim survivors. We're going to have uh, male victims and survivors. We're going to have perpetrators that have been reformed, and it's going to be an absolutely powerful time. We're going to have some uh, young survivors. We're going to have different ones that make up this audience on aware of it today and keep that in mind as we move forward in our show. Well, tonight is like and uh, uh, to call in with your questions and or comments. You might be surprised, but something that you say may actually help someone else, may actually empower someone else that is going through. And perhaps if you spoke it out on one, will be willing to come forth. So that being in mind, area code 323-784-9638, that is how you reach us tonight. Area code 3784-9638, that is how you reach us tonight. Open mic, we're available for your call even right now. And I want to deal with some things while we await your call, your comment, and while we await your um your questions tonight. I want to just deal with a few things that we are talking about and that we've been dealing with for a while. It's the prevalence of domestic violence and how far that it reaches. And so when people say, well, what is domestic violence? What really, 
I mean, how severe is it? Is it really uh, an important matter? And I like to say it this way, that domestic violence is very important and that there are many things that affect us. I want to take a candid look at this for just a second. When we talk about domestic violence, it involves neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and I would even go on to say spiritual abuse. It goes beyond that. But what we have to understand, the history of domestic violence in this country have had a very interesting chapter. Until the 1970s, there were few laws that were preventing domestic violence. The laws that were enacted in, in the 70s were not consistently enforced, however, to 20 years later in the 90s. And so because domestic violence has only recently been addressed by our legal system, it continues to be a social problem in the United States. Now, there are many myths about domestic violence and in uh, fear of being associated with uh, domestic violence that often prevents a lot of people from coming forth. And because of that, uh, many people are silenced and they don't even want to acknowledge its existence. But research suggests that about 37% of all families experience some type of physical violence. Now, this doesn't include, in this case, emotional or abuse or neglect, because those things are not necessarily measured. You know, they're not arrestable offense. So everyone should educate themselves about the warning signs of red flags of domestic violence. And I personally believe that we have to educate our young people. So while domestic violence cases involving celebrities are the ones that often make the headlines, you know, like we saw with NFL, we see with celebrities that are involved in domestic violence, this problem, however, is shared by Dave John and Mary Q. Public. It is shared by those that Black or white, those that are those that are indigent, and those that are well off, we find it happening all over our society. So, one of the things I want to say tonight that I think is so important as we awareness on domestic violence is that we must understand that domestic violence is a real problem in our society. As a matter of fact, according to the Center of Disease Control, more than 12 million women and men are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the U.S. Every I want to just stop for a moment because I want to make sure that you hear what I'm saying. That almost more than 12 million women and men are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the home of the land of the free and the home of the brave. It almost sounds barbaric to think that this type of behavior goes on in a civilized country that's a world leader. That this type of violation of one's country, and yet it still is happening, and there's not enough that's being done about it. One thing that we have concluded that we can't arrest our way out of this, I believe that one of the missing links of domestic violence as we continue on is that we're going to have to begin to understand such things as treatment. We're going to have to begin to understand not only such things as treatment, but the accountability that is going to do more than just lock them up, but, but the type of accountability that literally puts them through some type of treatment program. Every batterer is not your batterer, they're just as mean and want to batter. Many of your batterers are second and third and fourth generation uh, victims that have grown up in this environment and have chose this behavior because this is the way they have been informed. But we all have a responsibility inside of addressing these abusive relationships. And so one of the things I want you to know is understand that the fact of the matter is that one of the reasons 
domestic violence is so hard for many people to really detect because we all have a fantasy in our mind about what relationships should be. And then we all, in many ways, have our own what we have in our mind as our stereotypical, what does a victim look like? What does a batterer look like? And so because of fact many of us have a hard time in seeing a batterer as being someone who's tall, dark, or handsome, many problems uh, viewing a batterer as being someone who's charismatic and popular, maybe even sitting in seats of power in government, oftentimes we don't see it coming. But I want you to know there is no standard, there is no stereotype, because it can really affect everybody. Now, one of the reasons that this has become so hard, and at any given time, if you have a question and a comment, this is open line tonight, open line, meaning that you can be our very get special guest tonight, if you like, by simply calling area code 323-784-9638. And if you'd like to come on, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our engineer know that you want to come on, and we will get you on. You don't have to give your name if you don't like, but we'll like to get you on and invite your question or comments. Now, one of the things I want to say, the reason some why oftentimes people miss the warning sign because domestic violence is so commonly associated with violent and physical behavior. But the vulnerable partner typically finds him or herself the subject of other forms of abuse first. We like to say long before the victim was ever beat up, they were beaten down oftentimes with words. They were beaten down oftentimes with tactics and manipulation and threats. And so this is why this is such a powerful subject matter inside of this. So when a red flag that are there, a red flag that a partner is likely to become physically abusive include not only pressuring a girlfriend or boyfriend to commit early in an early relationship, publicly or privately insulting them and threatening the victim, acting jealous and raising accusations of infidelity and exhibiting other controlling behavior such as preventing the victim from working, taking away money, uh, restricting access to telephone and forbidding participation in social occasion. These things go far, and we have to understand how far-reaching they are and how impactful they are inside of our society. You listen to Hope and Healing the Journey of Holiness. This is your host, D.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here right here on the Soul America Radio Network. And I look so forward to taking our caller that is on the air uh, that is holding for us, number ending in 4418. And I'm almost going to guess that this is my friend and my colleague, but I'm going to say good afternoon, good evening. Welcome <laughs> to Hope and Healing, a journey to holiness. Good afternoon. Can you hear me, Pastor Thicklin? I hear you loud and clear. How are you, my how are you? This is Evangelist LaDonna Combs from Detroit, Michigan, your colleague and your favorite partner and getting things done in the nation. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, I feel like I'm in church. I feel my help coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is having you on the air and for those of you that are listening this is my friend my colleague one of the most premier domestic violence experts and advocates i know and this is evangelist ladonna coombs and she's all the way from detroit and that i'm so glad that you're on because i know this is a very busy month for you as well you guys are doing tremendous things up there in the great state of michigan and detroit and wow, what you all are doing there through the sisters, uh, uh, the sister of abuse, uh, abuse society. Uh, what is it, sister of abuse society? What, what sisters against abuse society. <laughs> sisters against abuse society. That's right. I know this. You know what you all are doing there is phenomenal. And I know. I, I mean, I just want to give you the floor and talk a little bit about that. But what people need to understand that sisters against abuse society 
is housed out of, or should I say definitely housed and undergirded there inside of your faith ministry, inside of the church there. So definitely share with us today, and I know that you have some comments on some of the things that we're talking already about as far as domestic violence and the signs and why we have to be a little bit more, um, if you would, assertive about what we're doing in this uh, area. Well, yes, and thank you, Reverend Thicklin. It's such a pleasure to be on with you and be talking with you tonight about this subject. It's October's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and certainly uh, my pastor, our Bishop, Bishop Charles H. Ellis III, they're at Greater Grace Temple in Detroit, where our ministry and our faith-based organization is located out of. We've been doing so many different programs and work really all year long, but in, in October it gets more showcased and we get to partner with more faith-based institutions and churches and and encouraging other clergy uh, to do outreach for uh, this pandemic of domestic violence. And, and, you know, it's just been uh, phenomenal, you know, some of the things that have really has taken off and going on in the city of Detroit and even in Oakland County and the surrounding suburban areas where we've been partnering, you know, not with just our black and brown brothers and sisters, but with our white and, and, and our Caucasian sisters and brothers who want to join with us and, and walk along with us, and, um, you know, to prevent violence in our communities. You know, African-American women suffer domestic violence at a rate that's 35% higher than white women. And, of course, Reverend Thicklin, you know that, being with the Institute on Domestic Violence, how how central it is for us to talk to black and brown communities and come up with strategies uh, to prevent domestic violence and heal the whole family. You know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to heal the batterer and help him unlearn and heal from the behaviors that has been modeled and learned through him uh, through tactics of power and control against, you know, uh, women in, in the community. Would you not say that's what kind of make? Uh, the approach of a faith community a little different than mainstream. Would you not say that in many ways, when people uh, when people say things like, "Well, why you know why should the church get involved with this?" You know, you got all these other organizations out there, or, or those that raise the question about the fact of you know, hey, let the church stay in their place and you know let other folks handle it. Would you not say that that is one of the unique ways that I believe that the church is different and that the church the church mission was somewhat different because of the fact that. We don't exactly believe that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. And having said that, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, that we're promoting a, a victim to stay with an abusive partner. But what we do believe right. that that you know that the batterer needs help. He needs uh, he needs uh, to be accountable, but also needs to unlearn that behavior. And we believe that that we believe that the batterer can be transformed if they want to be transformed, because it's really our whole message as believers. Is the message of, uh, if you would, redemption. We've we've all been redeemed of something. Right. We've been made new of something. Mm-hmm. But once again, mm-hmm. our redemption happened because of the fact we invited the Lord. We invited it. We wanted it to happen. And so the mm-hmm. same way with mm-hmm. the perpetrator, they have to want this. They have to want it not just because they wanted so that they could, you know, regain their partner or their family, but they're going to have to want it mm-hmm. because they know that they need it. And they need to be delivered. They've got to take ownership of the fact of what's going on in them. Right, that's that's true. Yeah, it's very important for the church to get involved. Historically, the church has been involved in so many human rights issues and have moved the country forward uh, through accountability and in different systems and, and social justices, you know, for hundreds of years and, and, you know, as of late for, you know, decades or a century. So domestic violence, which is another 
uh, issue within the human condition within the church. You know, the people in the church come from the community. You know, that whatever problem is in the community is coming into the church because they're coming for answers. They're coming because they're wounded. And when domestic violence is an issue, the church really has to take uh, upon itself to educate itself to bring healing you know, to the family holistically, the woman does should not stay in a in a violent, uh, abusive relationship. You know, that's not healthy for her. It's not safe for her to submit herself. And it, it, the church has to understand that domestic violence is not a marital problem. It's a crime. And that, you know, and they say, well, why does she stay? Why doesn't she just leave? You know, the situation, there are many things that keep her there. You know, a crisis of faith. Uh, spiritual abuse, low self-esteem, economics, uh, children, and you know between them, and she's not breaking the law by staying. He's breaking the law by hitting her. You know, and, so. and absolutely. And the church mm-hmm. has to, and, and that's a great deal that the church has to learn because, uh, uh, because mm-hmm. the fact when we don't know, when, when we don't understand really the dynamics of domestic violence, we could actually be more harmed than we are doing good. And yeah. I think that's important to keep in mind um, is that mm-hmm. we don't want to we don't want to be the we don't want to bring more harm and complicate this, and therefore we need to understand the dynamics of it. You know, I've had the incredible yeah. pleasure and opportunity uh, to really preach in a few pulpits uh, this month and dealing with domestic mm-hmm. violence, and we had the opportunity mm-hmm. yesterday to be at a, a church here in West Palm Beach, a phenomenal pastor and congregation uh, who really have have taken this uh, subject matter very seriously. Uh, to the point mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, this has become an annual invite where I'm invited to come in, mm-hmm. not to give mm-hmm. me 15 minutes to say something about it, but to literally give me the whole floor for Sunday morning service to address Amen. the issue of domestic violence. And it's a it's always been a very powerful type thing. Their church have a ministry uh, that they're, uh, they're, they're umbrelling a lot of their social ills up under called Road to Recovery. And I mm-hmm. one of the things that really <laughs> blessed me, so on yesterday was that before mm-hmm. I even spoke, they showed um, they showed a, a video clip of a young lady. I believe her name is Kia Granberry, a Kenberry. Uh, she's a survivor mm-hmm. of domestic violence. She was a Christian. She talked mm-hmm. about uh, what she went through. She's about to marry this guy and ask God mm-hmm. for a sign. And and she talked about how it destroyed her life, but how she got back, how God restored her life after she got out of it. And I thought it was so mm-hmm. powerful that the church used that as the backdrop before I actually ministered. And as I, mm-hmm. uh, as I uh, ministered this, um, it was an interesting thing that as I ministered this, uh, uh, it, it was so interesting because they had, I mean, they were putting different things up on the screen as I ministered. They had the constantly the sign, please stop, the, let's stop domestic violence. They had the different things mm-hmm. that was reminding us of the things that we can do even as a church. And I go a step further. They all, the church would uh, predominantly all dressed in purple, you know, uh, commemorating domestic violence. And it mm-hmm. just made it a lot easier to actually preach and deliver a message in that type of setting where they understood and where you had a pastor, and this is what I, and I love him to life, because he's a great pastor, great man of God, you know, who have admitted he's been part of my forums in time past. But he told the church, he said, I don't know how many of you all are here and how many of you all may have known this, but I thought it was a powerful admission that he began to say to them that when he really started participating in some of our forums years ago, it is what mm-hmm. separated him. 
it liberated him. He talked about he and his wife in the early time of their marriage when they were, you know, fairly newly married. And he said, although he never put his hand for us to hit her, he admitted that he shook her and that he grabbed her and he shook her. You know, he shook her, and in his mind at the time of shaking her, you know, he just wanted to shake her, to shake her into her, her senses. But he realized after he did it that there was something wrong with him, that he mm-hmm. had a problem, mm-hmm. something was wrong with him. And he tells the story about how he took off, got in his car, and just kept driving. He was living in Miami, driving and driving. When he looked up, he was almost in Orlando. And he just he realized mm-hmm. that he said the Lord spoke to him and said, Son, you've got to get help. You need deliverance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he came back mm-hmm. to his wife and, and told his wife and begged her apology and said, look, I need help. And she said, we can't go another step without help. He agreed to the help. They went to get the help. And he said that he had to admit that there were some things that that counselor said that he didn't quite want to go along with. But he realized that the mm-hmm. greater picture was that if he wanted to be the man that God wanted him to be, that he needed to get help. And he was so glad right. to share that with his congregation and said to them, think about it. That was early on in our marriage, and next year we'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage, and, and we have had nothing. He said it was so liberating to him. He said the first time he came to my forum, he was part of it. He said he shared that story. He had never shared it with anyone ever. He said, but mm-hmm. it was something that happened that day that when he shared it, he felt liberated. And his wife said to him afterwards, said, baby, I can't believe you shared that openly like that. And he said to her, I can't believe I did neither. <laughs> he said, but right, I was liberated. Right. But, but one of the things I've discovered, and you probably can attest to this, one of the reasons that I believe that more people that could be helped and could be delivered and, and even held accountable are not held accountable and helped, especially in the church, is because we don't talk about it. Because we don't provide a platform to address it, and because of that, those that could get set free don't get set free. And I've had this mm-hmm. to happen on more than one occasion, and I'm very surprised that even with men, uh, men, men that have had some history of abuse, is that when we do talk about it and put it out there in the right way, the number of men that will come forth, many saying, I need help. Yeah, I need right. I need I, I need help. I, I need to be delivered. I know what you're saying is right. I know what I'm doing is wrong. I need help. Mm-hmm. But for those mm-hmm. that And many of want them to, mm-hmm. Yes. Go right ahead. Oh. oh oh no no no. I totally agree with you and for many of them they have a story of their own, you know, about things that they've witnessed as children and, and they grew up in their homes that they never spoke about and never have been able to bring themselves to deal with or tell anybody that hold that pain in it and all that violence and resentment and they grow up with this behavior uh, because it was learned, it was watched. And, and unfortunately, people call domestic violence something that's dysfunctional. It's very functional because it achieves the outcome that the batterer intends for it to achieve. And that's why it continues in silence so often, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's very dysfunctional, and oftentimes it's very deliberate, and it happens. And once again, mm-hmm. you know, very few people abandon what is working for them. <laughs> you know, if it's achieving what they wanted to achieve, very few right. abandon it. And so, therefore, right. we have to 
we have to get a new perspective on domestic violence in the sense of the fact mm-hmm. that uh, we think that here there's somebody who, who who's operating necessarily in a dysfunction. Perhaps the uh, uh, perhaps the dynamic of it is dysfunctional, but the reality is that it's functioning very well, and that is one of the but reasons the that I believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's somebody who wins, unfortunately, but it's not the victim in this case. Mm-hmm. It's the batterer right. that is winning, if you want to call that right. winning, when you have done that to your family. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I love to bring up at this point is the fact is that another reason why the church has to be equipped inside of addressing this is because absent of us being equipped, what I honestly believe is that we do more harm than good. Now, we, we talk about, you know, the major areas of abuse. We talk about physical and and verbal and everything, but there's also spiritual abuse. And, and I, I know that most, you know most people don't want to look at it in terms of that, but there's there, there there's what I call definitely spiritual abuse. And I mm-hmm. think that inside of that spiritual abuse, we have to take a very candid look, uh, especially inside of the church, how we may be actually perpetrating domestic violence. Uh, you know, right. perpetrating spiritual abuse ourselves. And one of the things I like to fact of how we do it. Uh, our dear friend, uh, uh, Reverend Al Miles, talks about the five pillars of Christian thought as it relates to domestic mm-hmm. violence and spiritual abuse. And one of the things he talks about is the fact that the church oftentimes sounds like they're defending domestic violence rather than trying to eradicate it. And so he says, mm-hmm. uh, so part of the justification is that oftentimes you get from a pastor and victims have gotten this is that the pastor begins, before they hear the victim out, they immediately start talking about the sanctity of marriage. And they start talking about, well, the marriage should be saved at all costs. And they begin to talk about things like, you know, you, you, know, you made the vow before the Lord and all of those things, which is true. But so many times it's amazing how we forget about the fact that the sanctity of marriage has been violated from the moment that the abuse has started. And that rather mm-hmm. than we're trying to literally, uh, as if we are wholly now the victim as being the the, the the light bearer and the torch bearer within the marriage, we don't look at the perpetrator and say, listen, you have violated the sanctity of marriage. We don't hold them accountable that way. And I believe that well, uh, the fact, hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Well, well, they're making her spiritually responsible for his behavior. And Absolutely. That's just not Right, it's just that's not true. There's no way she can be responsible for anything he does because it's a choice. Domestic violence is a choice. He has a choice to hit her and a choice not to hit her. So, and then many times the question is, well, what did you do? You know, well, what's going? What did, what could she possibly have done to earn the black uh, earn a black eye in her own home by somebody who has vowed to love her? Who's in the church? Who they, who's she supposed to be married to? A Christian, Christian or non-Christian? A man who vows to stand before God and says, you know, love you and cherish you for better or for worse. What could she possibly do to earn the fact uh, that she should have a black eye? But her spirituality has nothing to do with his violence. That's a choice that he makes. And absolutely. And one of the things that I think is so important, and one of the things he talks about in the sanctity of marriage, that oftentimes the church almost used that as a justification. And most of the mm-hmm. time they use it as advice to the victim and saying that she needs to suck it up. All right, what, you know, hey, come on, was it really that bad or what did you do? You know, go pray and, and, and ask God to show you how to be a better wife. And, and many right. times the batterer says it wasn't that bad. That's why couples counseling is not really safe for her either in the church. Churches have 
have to understand they can't do couples counseling because she can't expose what's really going on because she's got to go home with that man. You know what I'm saying? So and she's absolutely. telling you, right. And I like to say, you know, I mean, what what you end up getting inside of those type of things is a Reader's Digest version, uh, period, because mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be revealed totally. And why would she reveal it knowing the fact of when mm-hmm. she gets home out of the presence of the pastor or out of the presence of the counselor, mm-hmm. what is going to mm-hmm. happen to her? And so why would she disclose it? But too often those are things that we're not taught or we don't understand and of the church when it comes mm-hmm. to counseling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and addressing these situations. Number one, simply believe her. Before you start giving her the pedigree and how wonderful the perpetrator right. is and right. the fact that you've known him right. since he was a little boy and you know his parents right. and he's come from a good home and you start sounding well, like you read out some type of... in this church. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you're getting ready to right. give his vitae. You know, you're getting ready to give. You're getting right. ready to present him. Right. You know, uh, you know. Well, look, he's these things. No, she's trying to tell you that, in spite of all the things that you think that he is, that he's also abusive. He's controlling. He right. is manipulative. She's trouble. afraid of yeah. him, and we have to mm-hmm. get beyond that. And then we cannot mm-hmm. use the scripture, or what I call spiritual abuse, of saying, "Well, the sanctity of marriage is being one of them." And the second thing that uh, Reverend Miles talks about is the fact that immediately that most pastors in, in the Christian faith, we start, we raise the question, well, you know, divorce is a, uh, is a sin, and that, you know, the Bible talks about uh, Christian leaders and laity, uh, uh, you know, getting uh, divorced and being all these things here, and we keep talking about the fact of hold up. You know, God hates divorce, but interesting enough, we never, mm-hmm. ever talk about God hating the abuse. We never talk right. about, and it's the, not the paper that makes the divorce; it's the act of the violence against her or him. But basically, we, we usually say her because more than seventy-five percent of the victimization is for the female. Most of the money, the billions of dollars that's spent in lost wages and in emergency room visits and in counseling, are for females that are in these situations. But um, uh, yeah, they. They never talk about re-victimizing. When she comes to a church, she's re-victimized by the people that she's trying to get to help her. And then African-American community church is usually the first place that we go for help. Absolutely. But, you know, it's one of the the reasons that you and I and and those of us of the African-American Domestic Peace Project and it back is one of the reasons that we do the things that we do. so right. you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it, it's it is to educate the church, to educate the clergy, right. and how not to keep a person in spiritual bondage. You know, uh, you know, the whole point of many Christian women staying in an abusive relationship because they think they're mm-hmm. going to totally uh, uh, let God down. Uh, the whole thing about right. divorce being a sin right. is held over the head. And so they mm-hmm. feel guilty. They don't want to tell them their, uh, their husband. Uh, they don't want to lose faith. And it's hard to go forth and, and, and really tell, try to tell someone who's so charismatic in front of other people who has mm-hmm. a great reputation. 
who everybody thinks is the best thing to slice bread. And so she, she, that within itself is a form of control of abuse because she looks like the she looks like the person who's causing problem when she's really just trying to sound the alarm because she wants to get out of it. So those are things that are very important inside of this. And I, I, right. I would love to continue on even after this commercial break there because he gives uh, the other ones, including male headship and female submission, how that is being mm-hmm. used all the time against um uh, against the victim, as well as this whole thing about forgiveness. What does that really mean? And I want that right after this commercial break. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Hope and Healing, the journey to wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and we'll be right back right after this commercial break. via internet, you're probably seeing a series of advertisements. Please click on those advertisements as they help us to continue to bring you the best in Soulful Talk Radio. By Choice to Fellowship on Facebook is a spiritual, drama-free, judgment-free fellowship forum for light minds to share in encouragement through testimonies, scriptures, music, prayer, worship, and fellowship. It is our desire to be an oasis of hope in the midst of the deserts and wilderness of life's most challenging experiences. We welcome you for prayer requests as well as your testimonies as we collectively operate as thermostats changing life's experience through God's leading in His Word. Join us as we empower lives and shape destinies. That's Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship on Facebook. Through a search, you can find us. If you're listening via Internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. I am Indy Harlem too, and I am fighting the power on the Soul of America Radio. Worldwide Coast to Coast Talk Radio. This is the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Soar. And now back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thickland. And 
And welcome back to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. Uh, this is your host, J.R. Thickland. I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight for the Soul of America Radio Network uh, premiere, or not the premiere, but the ongoing Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. And we're always glad to have you to join us here on every Monday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock in the mountain, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, and wherever you may be around the globe, we're always glad to have you tune in. And once again, I am so excited about our time together here tonight. This being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, although we're here year-round, as you so know it, is that every, every day is a day to always be in mind of what's happening with domestic violence. And so as many that are joining us here tonight, and we're always glad to have you to join us tonight, we were in the midst just before we went to our break, and we are talking about domestic violence and the content of the Christian faith and side of what the church should and should not do and some of the things that the church have done that have actually proven to be very detrimental to victims. And uh, it is so important that as we talk about this uh, here tonight that we recognize that there are many people that are suffering in silence. There are people that are suffering in silence in ways that you can hardly imagine. And this is one of the reasons that the church must be better equipped and they must become uh, better informed when it comes to the issue of domestic violence. And we've been so uh, blessed uh, to have my friend, my colleague, uh, and one of the best uh, domestic violence experts and advocates I know uh, from around the country. We've had the opportunity to travel the country, train together, uh, do some tremendous things together. We've co-wrote together the curriculum of, shall I say, the Reader's Guide there with the Speaking of Faith Domestic Violence Program in the African American Church. We wrote that together in conjunction with the Institute on Domestic Violence in the African American Community. And I welcome her back after the break, none other than Evangelist LaDonna Coombs all the way from the great uh, city of Detroit, Michigan, and doing great work there with the Sisters Against Abuse Society and what great work they're doing there at, uh, right there at Greater Grace uh, there in Detroit, Michigan. And welcome back, my dear friend. Um, Always a wealth of information, and we're always glad when we can share the uh, platform with you. Absolutely, just incredible insight that you have and that you that you share, and it's one of the reasons that I believe that when the Bible speaks of iron sharpening iron, it is the experience that I have when I travel, when I have the opportunity to dialogue with you and present with you, and I'm so glad to have you once again on our show tonight. And I definitely want to uh, invite us back there. I know we left off and talking about the how the church misused the almost sound like a threat by telling the victim divorce is a sin and almost them uh, out of uh, getting safe. And a lot of times the issue is not about the victim saying, hey, I want to get a divorce. Sometimes the victim is simply saying, Pastor, I need to get out of here. I can't stay in this situation. I may need to separate. I may need to do, I may need to, you know, I may have to go a separate direction. But too often it is the pastor and faith leaders that will throw up the fact to have the divorce uh, being a sin. And, I, and before you even respond to that, I just want to say to those that are listening tonight, those that are on the on, on the line, I want to I want to invite you if you have a question and or comment for myself or uh, uh, Evangelist Coombs, I want you to simply hit the number one on your keypad, and we will be notified by our producer that you want to come on the air, and we'll get you on the air with your question and a comment. You don't have to give your name if you don't like, but we're glad to have you tonight. So. With that being said, uh, I go back to you again, LaDonna, and we're talking about the fact that those type of things. 
your opinion, does mm-hmm. it do more damage to the victim, or does it, uh, you know, uh, does it uh, any good? At- well, I think it's really important for uh, pastors to be educated to know if she's coming to you, even at this point, her life is in danger. You know, you have to understand that lethality is very real in the African-American community, you know, for women who suffer in domestic violence because many times they suffer in silence. It's like the holy hush of the church. And by the time she comes to the pastor for some help, some relief, and sometimes some absolution spiritually to give her, you know, the okay, you know, I really, really, it's okay for you to go because your life is in danger. And that's not really getting a divorce, but it's just getting her to safety so she can really figure out what it is she wants to do uh, for herself and for her family and um, get, get some distance so she knows she's safe. And many times that's like the beginning of really helping her, you know, manage um, her life better and giving her some control because she doesn't have any control at that point. And that's hard for for many pastors to see because the fact, you know, in one way, you know, we as pastors, we kind of wired to think about, okay, the family, let's keep the family together. But when we talk about keeping the family together at all at all costs, we understand when we say all costs, is that cause even meaning her life? Because truly, if that's right. the case, then they're not going to be together anyway. We've already destroyed that, not to mention the long-term impact on children. If they have children growing yeah. up in that abusive home, the children being exposed to this, of which we know that 10 million kids a year are being exposed to domestic violence, you know, think about the ramifications of that. Think about uh, yeah. what I call the, the university, because it is parent university. You know, when kids are exposed to domestic violence, they live what they learn, and they learn what they live. They're getting their lessons firsthand. And, and you know, and, all, well, and although we know that, that they can inherit and they can learn domestic violence outside of their home, but definitely that is one of the uh, premier places that they do learn it. Well, and unfortunately, 46% of the homes that experience domestic violence, 46% of the the uh, uh, homes, the children are being victimized, and 46% of the violence being happening in the home because batterers who batter their spouses, their significant others, their companions, um, they're battering the children too. For, they're at risk at 46% to be to be battered themselves. And so on, and that's a whole other situation. Um, and many times victims, they don't leave um, the situation um, until, you know, because they try to manage it because they're made to think they have to manage it. You know, the spiritual crisis while stay until they feel that the children are being harmed. And many times that's when victims will get up and leave when they, they they'll, you know, if they can buffer, kind of shelter, kind of shield the children from the batter. But when the batterer starts to beat the children or, God forbid, do anything else, that's usually when they take flight and realize, i got to get out of here because I can't let my children be harmed. Absolutely. And and that goes back to the other, you know, scenario. There are so many stereotypes as it relates to victims of domestic violence. And you hear people say, well, you know what, that could be me. And, and there are people that categorize victims as being weak. But the reality is, mm-hmm. if you think about what a victim of domestic violence go through, especially even when it becomes physical, because oftentimes I know we don't think about, uh, you know, the physical, but the emotional abuse itself is nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. It is beamed down. It causes stress. It causes all kind well, of things. Anxiety. You know, and it, it yeah, builds up. and it eats away at the- Mm-hmm. Yeah, women with very high self-esteem and very high-paying jobs end up being victims of domestic violence because it's very gradual. There's a grooming process. They don't start out, 
with letting you see these power and control issues. It's, it's a, uh, they get you to, to acquiesce or relinquish emotional power and, and, and control or supports in your own life and try to isolate you from a lot of your support systems in, under the guise of, you know, you know, I'm here, I'm going to be here for you. You don't have to worry about this. You don't have to worry about that. Taking many of the the victim's thought pattern onto themselves and kind of remanaging and redirecting her thoughts about her own life that he can handle that for her is that she's having problems handling that. But it's a gradual thing. He's grooming her for the violence, and then the emotional abuse begins once he gets her isolated enough or dependent on him enough. Um, uh, then, then he can kind of start, you know, creating the atmosphere he's always wanted in the first place, and that's to have power and control over her entire life, her decisions, her body, her health care, her finances, her friends, her family, you know, uh, her grooming te- te- techniques, you know, her phone calls, her whereabouts, everything, you know, concerning a choice that she would make about her own person. For people who have power and control issues, they want to take and maintain that power and control to control her. And many women who are very independent women uh, and find themselves up in these uh, find themselves ending up in these kind of relationships at no fault of their own, but they were targeted and groomed. Uh, to be put in this position. And if they have no education about what domestic violence really is and emotional abuse, they won't realize it until it's too late. But, you know, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing because, uh, you know, when we look at that, you know, and, and I start off by talking about for those that look at victims of domestic violence uh, as being weak, the reality is, is that it takes an enormous amount of strength, think about it, to to navigate, as you're talking about, to try to navigate and manage the chaos yet inside of real time and try to have some type of foresight for the future. It takes mm-hmm. incredible strength to try to maintain a home that is that is that may be chaotic in many ways and stressful, endure what you're enduring, and still try to uh, create some degree of normalcy for your children if there are children that is there. And I think that the lack of empathy and the lack of sympathy from, from the church and the faith leaders makes it even tougher. So people find themselves when they do escape the church as almost being, if you would, uh, you know, at least a catharsis experience, uh, you know, something to get out of it, you know, to get away from it for those two hours or three hours. And But the problem is the fact that it should go beyond that. You know, uh, we often talk about the church should be the spiritual trauma center and, and not the great mm-hmm. masquerade party. And I think what mm-hmm. happens so often is the fact that, especially in churches of uh, people of color, it's the fact that we tend to have to wear that mask. We tend to have to wear that mask. We we have a whole set of religious jargons that are, you know, that that you know that that uh, that is wrapped around that mask. You know, how are you doing? Blessed, holy favor. How are you doing? Too blessed to be stressed, really. Right. You know, I kind of like. I, I kind of feel like. Yeah, I feel like the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is that your final answer, you know, because <laughs> of the fact that in many ways, you know, you know, we we've learned to almost like a parrot, you know, just say those things, but but we say right. them because part of it is also it, it, it's protecting us. I I I I I, I really I don't it's know how you're gonna. Of, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's a prideful issue. Um, I think uh, because most uh, people in the church, especially clergy, they don't address it because they don't understand it. They don't know how. They don't know what to do about it because it's not supposed to happen. 
And so when it does happen, if they don't have any tools in their toolbox and educate themselves about domestic violence, they they uh, unfortunately get it confused with a church practice. And it's not a church practice. It's a human, the human uh, condition that the church has to deal with. Because like I said, people in the community, if one out of four women are going to be the victim of domestic violence or sexual assault at some point in their lifetime, you know, and, and the statistics are women between 15 and age 44 are going to experience domestic violence or attempted and completed rape, more so suffer from, it's, it's like the leading epidemic, more so than muggings, cancer, uh, uh, and car accidents, then they are going to have to understand that it's not a fault of the church, but once it gets in the church, um, then that's something that you're going to have to deal with for safety and for healing, you know, as well as healing of the victim and also bringing accountability to the perpetrator because he needs healing too because the perpetrator is suffering with low self-esteem, uh, insecurities, anger issues, even though even though domestic violence is not an anger management issue because they're saved Absolutely. that behavior for their intimate partner. They're not punching the mailman and their boss and their brother-in-law at, at um, Thanksgiving. Now, if he's doing all that, then he does have some uh, uh, other issues. Some real anger issues. issues that, <laughs> right. But, yeah. but batterers, they, they reserve that behavior for their intimate partners only. So they're not out of control. They're, they're very much in control. It's very purpose. So, uh, and, the, and the church has to learn um, uh, what it is so that they can provide safety and healing for women and uh, accountability and healing for men. You know, and one of the things that's interesting, and I, I definitely hope that those that are listening don't feel that we're church bashing. Both of us are, are, are ministers uh, mm-hmm. of the gospel, right? And so, so yeah. we understand this, and but we also understand that you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, as pastors and leaders, we quote the scripture Hosea four and six: "For my people perish for a lack of knowledge," and we talk about right. that, you mm-hmm. know. But it's interesting how we don't see the fact that. You know, the people that God may have given you charge over to under shepherd are also perishing because of your lack of knowledge and and, and your lack of knowledge about Mm -hmm. practical life issues that are going on. And so I think Mm -hmm. so often that we put the church inside of what I call a ceremonial box. And mm-hmm. so what we mm-hmm. see far as the church being as a place of praise and worship and prayer and scripture, and mm-hmm. we go there and we have the liberty to do those things, but we don't see the church as being really the practical part that the church ought to be. And I believe that there's so much that is there that the scripture gives us that the church is to be mm-hmm. that oftentimes is overlooked. And I believe that one of the things that is, and I think is so critically important, is the fact that we have to understand that we have to really have a revelation of what the scripture is saying to us. You know, um, you know, people out there have said, well, you know, show me domestic violence in the Bible. Well, I'm like, so you're not going to see the scripture there saying, you know, you turn to this chapter and it says, okay, domestic violence was committed against this and that. But there are many examples in scripture about domestic violence. The truth be told, mm-hmm. the first sin mm-hmm. that ever occurred was domestic <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when Cain slew Abel, even before then, we could even go then and say that even when Adam began to immediately accuse his wife as being the reason why, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that that he disobeyed God. So we see it happen. But we mm-hmm. can talk about Tamar. We can talk about her being raped. 
We could talk about her being raped by right. her own brother. We, there are many scriptures mm-hmm. there that can point to it. David gives a very mm-hmm. interesting uh, 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 verse of scripture there that he talks about, I believe, in Psalms 55. And he describes mm-hmm. what definitely could be interpreted as what I consider domestic violence and what I think anyone would, because he talks about the fact of what I call the ultimate intimate betrayal. And you often hear us talk about domestic violence. It's just that, mm-hmm. especially when we look at interpersonal violence. It is the, the ultimate intimate betrayal. And because of the fact you don't see it coming, you don't expect it to be so, there's a certain vulnerability that you have with people that you're that's supposed to love you and that you love. And David kind of hits a, it on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, Well, And there's a pattern for, you know, that talks about it in the Bible, too, is it talks about in Ephesians that man is to love his wife like Christ loved the church, giving himself for it. No man ever hated his own body. And that he is to present himself, his wife to himself, without blemish or spot. That means without bruise, without bruises. And, and it just tells him how to love her and how to give himself and sacrifice himself for that, for her, you know. Uh, and he's, no man hates his own self, you know. So, I mean, there's a whole blueprint about what really love, what he used to lead in. He's supposed to lead in love. Absolutely. And one of the things that you said that is so important, and you actually went to the, uh, the fourth part what uh, Reverend Al Miles talks about when he's talking about those pillars of uh, uh, Christianity of the church that mm-hmm. oftentimes is mm-hmm. used as a justification of domestic violence. And he goes right there to that scripture there in Ephesians 5, and uh, and oftentimes everyone wants to talk about Ephesians 5 and 22 as if 5 and 21 does not uh, exist, and right. yet it's still you know, you talk about the fact that, you know, in 5 and 21 it talks about submitting yourself one to the other. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes on throughout that whole passage of 521 all the way to the end there. A little further, it talks about the fact of love, 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 and husbands should love their wives. And he says it, uh, he says it several times, I believe it's about five different times that it's mentioned. That is what his commandment mm-hmm. is to men. No mm-hmm. does the word submission mean to put your feet on, to abuse, mm-hmm. to subjugate, to pain and, and, uh, and, and harshness. Nowhere that, that, that says that. So we don't have a leg to stand on when we when mm-hmm. we think that our manhood or being by virtue of being the man and being at the head of the house, the head of the house does not give you the liberty, permission, or authority in any form to be a way that is going to be abusive. There's nothing, and I want to say it again, there's nothing whatsoever that gives that type of authority. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. here's the thing about it. We have to understand that it totally speaks against this. It's a lot easier, and you see why the erroneous teaching have gone on for years that kind of indicates, uh, kind of almost give a notion that by being the head, it means that you have this all-out authority. And what we don't understand that all authority we have been given is delegated authority, and even that delegated authority is to be brought up under the mind and up under the uh, guidance of God. And so when we talk about this, think about it. We like talking about authority when it comes to men being the head from the position of power, from the position mm-hmm. of power, the ability to mm-hmm. command, and it becomes a privilege to him. What we don't like to talk about, that as being a position of responsibility, because that's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. It's a responsibility. You're the head. You're leading something. Oh, but Right, but he's supposed to lead as a servant, as Jesus Absolutely. did in love. 
as Jesus did in love. He led. And when it talks to the wife about submitting, she's submitting under his love, not under his authority, not under his oppression, and all those other things. Because if he's loving her, then the response, you know, is easy. Because women are really designed, you know, to nurture, to love, to respond to that. You know, and I mean, normal people with normal behavior patterns are, are you know, that's the way they're supposed to respond. But, um, you know, needing power and control, you know, uh, the way to the point where you've got to be violent to get it, you know, um, that that's not healthy. It has nothing to do with being in love. And it has nothing to do with relationship, you know, nothing to do Absolutely. with relationship. Absolutely. For those of you that are listening, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us, and I'm so very glad to have on the air with us tonight my friend, my colleague here in this area of addressing domestic violence, none other than my friend Evangelist LaDonna Coombs with the Sisters Against Abuse Society, and uh, we're enjoying the dialogue, but we welcome your questions and your comments tonight. Perhaps you have a question that you've been wanting to have answered, uh, maybe something that you've heard or something that's been misleading to you as it relates to domestic violence and the church. All you have to do is call area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us. Now, if you're already on and listening and you have a question and a comment, please hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our engineer producer know that you want to come on the air. We'll get you on the air and we'll entertain your question and or your comment. You don't have to give your name. Uh, You just can ask your question or your comment. But I think this is a perfect time for you to have that question or have that comment as we're going through this. And uh, one of the things I talked about earlier when we talked about domestic violence and the ultimate intimate betrayal, you know, the psalmist say here in Psalms 55, it's a psalm of David, and I love it because in verse 12 he talks about this. He said, for it was not an enemy that reproached me that I could have borne it. Right. Neither was it mm-hmm. he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But he says, it was thou, a man my equal, my God and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. That means we were in the Word together. We took sweet right. counsel together in advice, and we walked into the house of God in company. Mm-hmm. So now right. we're talking about the fact, here it is, we have to be very careful because as much as the church is meant to be a bridge, in many ways it can be a barrier. And so as we get ready to, to, mm-hmm. to segue to that fifth a pillar that Dr. Reverend Al Miles talked about. He talked about that pillow also of forgiveness. How that word is mm-hmm. so misconstrued when it comes to many things, and domestic violence is one of those major things. But what a, one of the things mm-hmm. I want to get to real quick is the fact of when we look at even the whole point of what happens when oftentimes the perpetrator has been uncovered. Right. When it's been called to the attention of mm-hmm. leadership. And many mm-hmm. times, depending on a Christian batterer, and I hate to say this, but nothing more slicker than a Christian batterer. Because the Christian mm-hmm. batterer is the one that normally will take the scripture, misconstrue the scripture, misuse mm-hmm. the scripture, take the scripture mm-hmm. out of context mm-hmm. to justify their behavior or to justify what they've done. But even worse mm-hmm. yet, when a pastor or leadership is not trained uh, to understand the dynamics of domestic violence, oftentimes they fall for the old okie doke. What is the old mm-hmm. okie doke? 
oftentimes the okie doke is that is that perpetrator actually most of the time putting on a show even in front of the church and saying right. forgive me forgive me oh i'll never mm-hmm. do it again and please forgive me oh i saw mm-hmm. the light and they go through all of the open display mm-hmm. right but oftentimes and inwardly does. nothing has happened mm-hmm. And what happens? Right. Nobody has moved. There's nothing that moves the church and moves the pastor than seeing a man <laughs> crying, snotting, and begging for forgiveness. And we're not asking pastors well, to be cynical, mm-hmm. but we, we're saying to them that you got to examine a little further than that. It cannot be right. about a public show when there's been no private change. Right. Right, and and I'm gonna I'll respond to that, and then I'm gonna let you go. I have another conference call I gotta be on tonight for another program Absolutely. that actually we're gonna do tomorrow, and you you but I'll respond for for maybe sixty seconds. That that is so uh, right because you begin to make the victim, then that turns on the victim to make her feel guilty because many times Absolutely. he's at home apologizing, he's in tears, he's crying, he's begging for forgiveness, he she's leaving, he can't make it without her. And and after she you know uh, uh, you know endures that she begins to think well maybe it was her fault you know that all this happened you know maybe she's overreacting you know he's really broken and and he really needs me when that's really just deploying a tactic you know to keep her there and to keep people you know sympathy for him and I Absolutely. and I'll say that and then I'll let you continue and I'm going to continue to listen try to listen to you before I have to get on the next conference call Reverend Dicklin but this is a wonderful wonderful topic tonight and uh and you keep doing some wonderful work like I know you're doing down there in West Palm Beach Florida well, thank you so very much, and we thank you for being with us. Let's give our hand, my friend, Evangelist LaDuffer. Come on. <laughs> thank you. America. Okay, thank you. You're listening thank to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, uh, J.R. Thicklin, and we're so glad that you're with us. Listen, we only have about a show, and I even right now, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Don't go anywhere. Got some important news right after this commercial break. Feeling a journey to wholeness. We'll be right back after this commercial break. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 323-784-9638. 323-784-9638. This is Thor.
323-784-9638. You give Jay a call right now. And now, back to the show. Yeah. 
healing and to return to wholeness. Now, I want to make sure that you got that tonight. But the other part of that is, unfortunately, the concept of forgiveness is also has been very widely misunderstood, even by the church. As a result, we got many women who have been uh, victimized by the act of domestic violence. Uh, they've been pressured or rushed into extending forgiveness to the very person that uh, victimized them. And uh, and all the time they've been led to that place, and they've been intentionally and repeatedly violated by that same perpetrator because of the fact they were driven and they were drilled with the fact of forgive, forgive, forgive. But what we have to understand is that female survivors are often told in a church to forgive and to forget the damage caused by their male perpetrator or by their intimate partner. And they say just forgive and forget as if just forgiving forget is going to make all the problems associated with the abuse and the violence go away. It's not resolved just because you said, I forgive. Understand what I'm saying here. Now, this is going to touch on some very sensitive areas and may even ruffle some feathers. We have to understand that all the problems that have been associated with abuse and the violence is not just resolved through the magic words of I forgive. We have to understand that when we as clergy or leadership make people feel like, well, just forgive them and everything is going to be better, then we're misleading them. And then we have to look at even greater because a lot of times what we're saying, well, just forgive them and forget about it. You know, if, and then we find this whole point that people want you to forgive, and then forgiveness is supposed to mean that I let you back in my life in the same way, in the same position, doing the same thing we were. And that's not what it implies, and that's not what the Lord requires. And let me be the first to tell you that that is not what it meant. It is unrealistic to think that the uh, victim or the survivor will forget the punishment that they suffered at the hands of the perpetrator. I mean, uh, listen, this is better understood when, when we take a moment to recall any devastating, impactful event that have happened to us in our own lives. Even if this event is happened once and long time ago, it is nearly uh, impossible to say I totally forgot about it because it is usually still remembered. Therefore, when we look at victims and survivors, when they uh, uh, recall acts of violence that have happened to them and devastation and everything like that, it's not a sin. And then we need to understand this, too, that victim survivors have disclosed that they have felt pressured by their pastors and other Christians to forgive and forget, just as God and Jesus instruct in the Bible. But I need you to understand something. Now, here's one of these mis the misnomers that we pick up from that we think that the Bible said. The Bible did not say forgive and forget. That's not what it said. Many people pick that up thinking that that's what the Bible said, but I'm gonna, you're going to trip out on this one. The saying about forgiving and forget did not come from the Bible. It came from William Shakespeare. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it comes from Shakespeare, the tragedy of King Lear, uh, spoken to Lear but, uh, to his daughter, uh, I believe her name was Cordelia, and he said to her who, who he was has who he had wrong. He said, "You must bear with me. I pray, pray you now, forget and forgive." I'm old and foolish. He was trying to excuse his own behavior that he had perpetrated against his daughter, and he said, you must bear with me now. Then he says, pray, pray you now, forget and forgive. That's not what the Scripture said to us. And we have to understand that forgiveness does not make everything all right. Forgiveness is a process that we work through. And then we have to take that process for what it's worth. 
We have to also look at the fact that forgiveness, when we talk about the problem being equated with this, we have to understand that uh, when we pressure someone into forgiveness, it is not truly forgiveness at all. We have pressured them in many ways. We have taken on the same role that the perpetrator has done so. But last but not least, I want to talk about this part here. That's when we think and we use forgiveness, and forgiveness is supposed to automatically mean reconciliation, and that is not true. Listen very carefully. Forgiveness is a process of letting go. Find our right to be angry, bitter, and so forth and so on. Uh, put away our right to be angry for having been hurt by another human being. That's what forgiveness is. It's right to do so. It's right to do so. It's our right to put away. It's our right to cause those things to happen. But we need to understand something, my brothers and my sisters. Listen very closely. Reconciliation, on the other hand, begins with the notion of restoration. We cannot truly have reconciliation without having restoration. It is a decision on the part of two or more people to reclaim, through mutually trustworthy behavior, a relationship that has been broken by abuse, betrayal, or other wrongs. So it's precisely here that equating forgiveness with reconciliation, especially in cases of domestic violence, uh, can be very risky. So you don't say, listen here, I've asked you to forgive me. We're just going to go back to what we were before. We're going to live the way we were before. Baby, don't act like I've ever done anything wrong. We're going to go back that way. It doesn't always mean that we get back together. A bad woman may choose to let go of her, uh, justified by anger, bitterness, or, or hurt, and so forth, while at the same time she may choose not to restore the relationship with her offending partner because he cannot be trusted. So in other words, I forgive you, but I can't get back with you because I don't feel comfortable with you. You cannot be trusted. Wow. Erico code 323-784-9638. Erico code 323-784-9638. We have about actually about 11 minutes left in our broadcast time. I'd love to hear from you tonight. You have a question and or comment, hit the number one on your keypad. Hit the number one that lets our producer know that you're trying to get in. Now, if you're having a problem and you're saying, well, I'm hitting number one and no one is recognizing me, then I'm going to challenge you to hang up and call back because that would indicate that there is either something wrong with uh, with the transmission from your phone to the boards here at the studio or something is wrong. But we really welcome your call and your comments today. And what is so important as we're waiting on your call today, you know, so many times you heard – LaDonna alluded to it earlier when the question is always asked, why did the victim stay? And no one ever asks, why does uh, the batterer continues to abuse? But one reason we need to understand that there are many factors that lead to victimized women to stay in an abusive relationship. Uh, and, I mean, just to name a few, you got everything uh, because of isolation from family, friends, and places of worship and community uh, resources. They don't want to be isolated from that. Uh, many times because the perpetrator promised to change. Uh, other time, it's a little bit more dangerous. The perpetrator uh, threatened to kill, kidnap, or physically harm the victim's children, the parents, the siblings, the pets, and the victim herself, or, or the victim even, I mean, or the perpetrator even threatened to kill themselves. And one thing that we always give caution to that that all threats made by a perpetrator must be taken seriously. Yes, I know you don't like calling him a perpetrator because that's your boo, that's your honey, that's Andy, that's John, that's that's Wilson. That's who they are. But their actions are that of a perpetrator. And you should take any threat seriously. 
The most dangerous time, you must understand why a victim doesn't leave, because the most dangerous time for a victimized woman by far is when she attempts to leave the abusive behavior. So she has to have a calculated plan, a strategic plan, what she's going to do, how she's going to get out of this. Because the batterer, and, and they stay because the batterer and other uh, blame the victim survivor for the abuse, and she is told that it's her, excuse me tonight, that it's her responsibility to fix the problem. So with all these things being real live and happening to a victim survivor, you can understand why it is so hard for them to leave in many times. And so when we look at the other major factor that keeps Christian women in dangerous and have their relationship is their religious belief, which we talked about. There's spiritual teaching, the traditions on the responsibility and the roles of women and men, uh, both in church and society. All of these things play a part. But what we have to understand that even in 2015, that spiritual abuse remains a major deterrent to the uh, overall safety and well-being of women, especially those that are trying to escape an abusive relationship from their male partner. So what we understand that in the Christian context, if we misuse the word of God, the misuse of God, Jesus Christ, the church, the doctrine, we may promote the wrong message, and we got to be very careful. And so when we look at this, we have to understand that we cannot be per, uh, perpetrators of this type of a message. One of the problems that we have in the church is that too often women are told that their obedience in this earthly life will reward them in heaven. But in many ways, when we start giving them this type of counsel, and we just tell them just to be quiet and that be these things and be humble and all those things, we have to keep in mind what we're basically doing is passing on a terrible message of doctrine. Basically, we're telling them to stay, pray, obey, okay. Okay? In other words, we tell them to stay, to pray, obey, okay? That's not what we want to do. We want to send a message of liberation, a message that holds one accountable. And so we have to understand that, listen, that we have to reach out and begin to demonstrate what this means to be properly in alignment, to not be abusive, to be loving, to be kind, because that's what's going to make a difference when it's finally all said and done. Listen, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us tonight for our edition here of Domestic Violence, um, uh, here as we deal with uh, the whole point of abuse. And how do we get out of the abuse? And we start talking about uh, the the spiritual abuse and how those things uh, inform us inside of uh, how we respond to domestic violence, even inside of the church. I close this by saying to so many of you that are listening tonight, that domestic violence doesn't necessarily know how to act always. But although it's mostly seen as something that's done in the privacy of our homes or inside a relationship, there are times that domestic violence rears its ugly head, finds its way in the public, finds its way finds it finds its way in society, finds its way even in our churches and our synagogue. The number of church shootings that have happened over the last fifteen, twenty five years that oftentimes have involved the loss of life, the loss of property, have often happened even inside of places of worship. And it's because domestic violence have come to church. 
So it's incumbent that the church is educated and empowered about this very serious matter. We must become more empowered and informed, not just a place that's willing to eulogize and eulogize them and speak over them, but the place that's willing to empower them, to energize them, to give them a platform and a voice. I believe that in this day and time that if we're going to be difference makers and world shakers, then we're going to have to be willing to accept responsibility for this issue of domestic violence. And so with that being said, I want to challenge you and encourage each and every one of you. Make up in your mind that you'll stand up and that you will not allow abuse to be tolerated in front of you. Dairy man, that may be on the line today. You and I have a responsibility to be upstanders and not bystanders, not allowing our silence to perpetuate the violence. So here we are at the end of another broadcast day, but not at the end of this message. I want to challenge each and every one of you, every one of you that know of someone who has been affected by domestic violence. I want to challenge you to definitely raise your voice and step Until next week, I want to encourage you to break the silence. Tell someone. Help counsel someone. Let them know it's not their fault. And if you can do that, I believe that you will make a difference inside of the issue of domestic violence. And until next time, this is Jerry. Thank you for domestic
It's my own.